0: Romans chapter 12, and this is part two from last week. The message is entitled, Reasonable and Cheerful Service. It's about how to live the Christian life. And I'm going to start reading in Romans 12. I'm not going to read as much as I read last week. Uh, If we have time at the end, I'll pick up some of the stuff in the latter part of the text I read last week. Verse 1, I appeal to you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world. In the reading last week, I mentioned that the word world here means age or period of time. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove that which is good and acceptable and the perfect will of God. For I say through the grace of God given to me, to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, that's right mindedly, according as God has dealt with. To every man, and this is talking about to believers, the measure of faith. We know not all men. There's a scripture somewhere that says not all men have faith. We know God has not given all men faith. This is talking to believers. Verse 4. For as many members are in one body, many members have not the same office. So we, being many, are one body in Christ and every one members of another. This part about the gifts, uh, I'm going to skip down and deal with this a little bit later if we have time. When we go down to verse 8, which still takes in part of the talks about the gifts. Talking about uh, the gift of exhortation. He that exhorts on exhortation. He that gives, let him do it with simplicity. He that leads with diligence. He that shows mercy, notice this, with cheerfulness. We're going to look at another cheerful verse as we get down through here in Corinthians somewhere. Let love be without hypocrisy. Verse 9. Abhor that which is evil. Cleave to that which is good. Be kindly, affectionate one toward another with brotherly love in honoring, preferring one another. Not slothful in business. Fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Patient in tribulation, steadfastly continuing in prayer, distributing to the needs of the saints, in other words, believers, pursuing hospitality. So I'll stop the reading there. Now, last week we we did part one. We didn't get to get much into this text here. We looked at some other things, and the introduction was kind of long. We mentioned that God's people are to be comforted with the gospel, and That they must be exercised in this same gospel we believe in conversion is the same gospel that we are continued to be comforted in. The same gospel that we grow in. The same gospel that causes us to look to Christ all the time and to grow in it and to have confidence and hope in Christ alone. And therefore our assurance will be strong and our motive and our mindset for obedience will be on the proper foundation rather than that which we used to have in false religion. We've been given a new mind in Christ and we've been given faith to look to Him and we are under the dominion of grace. We're under grace. We're not under law. We are reminded that we are not called to live by sight we are not to live in fear. We are not to live in bondage. And a lack of assurance is, as a result of these things is not something to brag about. It's not a positive. It's not humility. It's, it's unbelief. Lack of assurance is unbelief. So faith comes by the hearing, hearing by the word of God. We grow in the gospel. Therefore, the more our spiritual senses are exercised in this whole idea of looking to Christ alone, as our foundation before we step out to obey by faith and love then the more we'll be doing this Christian life thing correctly as the scripture instructs us we talked about how that how often we ask the question how often do we see I I do all the time people that even claim to believe like we believe you see it on the internet and sermon audio and these different things that get this thing wrong of the Christian life They put people under bondage and fear, and they lack assurance as a result. And it's needless confusion, very much so needless confusion. We spent a little bit of time last week talking about the very important doctrine of repentance from self-righteous dead works. And we stress that that must be understood before we take the very first step to attempt to obey God in any way, shape, or form. And just let me briefly breeze over this just to refresh your minds and maybe those that have listened to this message didn't hear last week's. Repentance from dead works and self-righteousness. Briefly is. We know repentance is a change of mind. That's what that means. We know that this is a gift of God. God has to change the mind and he does that by giving us a new heart as promised in the new covenant. And the means that is used... in conversion for this to happen is of course the power of the Holy Spirit and the means of the gospel that tells us about this repentance from dead works and what it shows us is that the Lord Jesus Christ his name is the Lord our righteousness Christ Jesus the righteous he is revealed as the only ground of salvation as he established righteousness for his people so our gift of repentance given to us by God shows us that it is Him and Him alone that has done the work, and the ground of salvation revealed in the gospel, the righteousness of God revealed in the gospel, is the righteousness of Christ, merited, established, and imputed to His people. That means we divest or divest—I don't know how to pronounce that correctly—we we, we take our stock out of what we used to hold to, and put all our eggs in one basket, so to speak. We invest 100 percent in the righteousness of Christ, the work of Christ, the merit of Christ, Him and Him alone. We are complete in Him. We have taken all of what we had counted on before and we have been given repentance to reject it, to be ashamed of it, to know that it doesn't do us any good. It's detrimental. It's not helpful. We know about the change of mind it concerns the character of God, that God is holy, absolutely perfect. He'll only demand Perfection always and only all the time. Therefore, that standard is too high for us to accomplish. And that standard is outside of ourselves in the person of Christ. We are given repentance about who Christ is. Before, we thought this Christ was somebody that just maybe gave us a jump start. And, um, you know, we did our part. He did our part. uh, You know, he did his part. We did our part. It's part A, part B. And we're the catalyst by our decision to... Um, you know, cooperate and finish the work, which is a lie. So we're, we have a change of mind about that. We know now that Christ is, he accomplished sufficiently, effectually, and he finished his work to make God's people righteous. And then we also um, have repentance concerning ourselves. The fact that there is no way that we could recommend ourselves to God by what we do in anything, by keeping the law, some lower law, uh, not even our faith and repentance is the ground of our salvation. And then some people, of course, say, "Well, it's sincerity. God will—he'll just, just accept the best you can do." This it's a different God that will accept that. The be- our best is altogether vanity. Scripture says He will only accept Christ's best. Christ is the best. He impresses the Father. He is the glory of God. Therefore, God gives us a change of mind in all those things. And this has to be done before we step out to do anything. To obey. That has to be straight in our mind. So, we mentioned how rare it is to hear this today. That idea of repentance From dead works and self-righteousness. We normally hear repentance talked about in a legal way. Something that our conscience would already recognize in reference to immorality. Our conscience already told us that before we were uh, born again. And then that type of repentance forces in a form of legalism to do good. To make up for the bad so that we can recommend ourselves to God. And that's very subtle and that's a lie and that is a sort of an easy task for satan to keep that ball rolling in our minds the gospel has to explode that idea so in other words the very the very same thing that we're warning against some ministries and even and i always mention these three all together so i can make sure i cover it all sovereign grace calvinistic reform even some of those We would warn against some of these things and some of them would lift these very things up as evidence of regeneration and assurance of salvation. And this is ridiculous. We keep pointing these things out and hopefully as time goes on, you see them quicker and and are able to identify them and point them out and um, avoid and to warn others about. Also last week, um, we had, I had taken a statement that I had made in the Lordship Salvation series about scriptural statements concerning our obedience to God, and I, I read through those briefly. And I had mentioned that someone had posted that same thing up on um, social media, and a young man had looked at it and read it, and he said, well, hold on a minute. What if, what if we don't do these things immediately after we regenerated am I doomed if I don't do enough? So I responded and explained that uh, his mindset was a conditional mindset that did not see Christ as finishing the work that takes away the doom of his people. And he was investing in Conditioning salvation on doing something so that he would not be doomed or condemned. I see it all the time. The gospel clears that up. In other words in other words, what he was doing, he was making salvation even after initial conversion. He was making it conditional along the way toward the end. Right? And this is how a lot of Sovereign Grace Calvinistic Reform people do it. They don't They won't make it look conditional up front, even though a lot of them think that faith is a condition. They'll make it conditional somewhere along the line in sanctification for what some of them now are calling final salvation. John Piper is saying that a lot nowadays. And some people are waking up to it. Some people don't know about it. That's why we have to talk about it. So let's move on to some more biblical instruction on how to live the Christian life as a believer by faith. If you've got a hard copy Bible, keep your place there in Romans. We're going to come back to it. But let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. And we'll look at a couple verses there, three verses. 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 6. But this I say. Verse 6, He which sows sparingly shall reap also sparingly, and he which sows bountifully shall reap also bountifully. Every man, according as he purposes in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly, or of necessity, for or because, notice this, God loves a cheerful giver. And let's read this one more verse here. Verse 8. And God is able to make. All grace abound toward you. That you always having all sufficiency. In all things. May abound to every good work. Now, I want to look at a couple things here in verse 7. Before we look at some other texts. Here in verse 7. We see the warning. To not. To not. Do things of necessity, or in other words, compulsory, right? Now I know here it's only talking about, the context is talking about money, giving giving money or giving things for the ministry. I want to apply this universally in anything that we do. We're to do it cheerfully, and if we don't do it cheerfully, it's not to be done because it's not done right. We'll get to some more of that here in a second, but let me ask this question. Have any of you ever seen in Sovereign Grace Calvinistic Reform movements, in any media outlet whatsoever, statements made, and I have seen this, that say that works are necessary to salvation? I've seen it. Now, you need, when you see that, you need to stop and qualify. What, what do you mean by that? I've asked that before. And some of them go on to mean th- what I'm warning about. The dangerous view of that if you don't do so many things by a certain time, you can't really look at yourself and say you're saved. Now, I'm going to get back to that point. That, that is a very important point. And I'm tying it to this idea of compulsory or necessity. Works out of necessity that are compuls- that you feel made to do and if you don't do them there's a, something's going to happen that's not good at you without which you shall not see the lord is the way they put it right do these things you'll be holy or at least you prove yourself to be holy and if you're not doing these things they say in this way of progressive sanctification then you will not see the lord it's conditional salvation in sanctification I don't care if they scream that it doesn't have anything to do with justification. I don't care because they're making sanctification run the justification. Very, very important things that are very subtle here that they try to sneak in. You want to notice something here in verse 7. Everyone according as he purposes in his heart, so let him give. Now, let's just look at money just for a second. This is the rule of New Testament giving. This is giving under the New Covenant. This rules out tithing. Tithing is not here. It cancels it. There is no number here. There is no percent here. According as he purposes in his heart, no number given. Doesn't say 10%, doesn't say 2% either, doesn't say 90%. It says, according as he purposes in heart, so let him give. And here are the things that they're saying not to do: not grudgingly, which means grievously or out of reluctance, or of necessity, which again, I think that's the easiest thing to see out of compulsion. I mean, some of you have been in churches in the past uh, when they talk about tithing, and they're real big on it. And they say, if you don't tithe, something's going to happen to you. God's going to take stuff away. If you do tithe, you get all the goodies. You know, you get all the stuff. And uh, all all those false motives for making it compulsory screws everything up, screws up the motive, The incentive, and it causes self-righteousness and dead works. And we could go on and on. And you can, again, you can put anything in here, not just giving money. You can put anything, and we're going to cover some of those here in a minute. This applies to a lot of different things. We know this, that faith, God-given faith, produces love and thanksgiving. And as you study the scriptures and see Christ clearer, you see him more lifted up. And you see, as you go along and mature, you grow down and you see you don't deserve anything. And does not that reflect in your love and thanksgiving to God? Do you think that's related to cheerfulness? If you see your love for God become stronger and clearer because you have seen what he has done for you as a believer. Those things are automatic. And your thankfulness comes out. We, we talked during Thanksgiving time, close to it, about contentment and Thanksgiving. If you're content, you'll be thankful. If you're not content, you're going to be grumbling, murmuring. So the more that we grow in a grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, we grow down in humility and our love and thankfulness increases and we see more and more our unworthiness. I don't see that in false religion. I see it going the other way. That's why those that are deceived all the way up into judgment dare to look Christ in the face as judge and say, but Lord, Lord. As soon as they say that, they're saying, you're wrong. <laughs> I'm right. I did this and that and the other. Who are you to judge me? Because I did my thing. All right, so as our, as our text said, talked about a reasonable service, let's look at these things in a reasonable way. So we looked at why we would be cheerful. Let's look at a reason why people might not be cheerful and how that they might do things or give things that are not in the right way by asking you some questions reasonable questions these are not hard the question is how much time on your 24-hour day how much time is your time I mean are you the captain of your time like I can do it's my time I can do whatever I want with my time you see what I'm getting? I'm not just talking about money. We're bringing it to time. First of all, you don't even know if you've got tomorrow, right? We know about the providence of God. It says, don't think you've got tomorrow because you might not have tomorrow. You may be you may be dead today. So redeem the time because the days are evil, right? We talked about, uh, we looked at a message a couple years back about an agenda. It was around New Year's, I think, the first message of New Year's. The agenda for the glory of God. And I'm asking you, do you have an agenda? And if you don't, get an agenda for the glory of God. And it has to do with your time. It has to do with your time. And what I'm getting at, your time, none of it is yours. You don't own your time. You don't own anything that you think you have. I asked the obvious question about money. You know, no matter what money you get from a job, I don't care how hard you work for it. I don't care if it's inherited or you work hard for it. How much of that money is your money? God, through his providence, gave you that money. All of it is God's money. Now, of course, everybody that's been here forever and has heard me, I never talk about money. I never ask for money. I never talk about money. I'm using this example that the scripture itself gives. I'm not going to sweep under the carpet, that's talking about money, time, possessions, talents, energy. And I want you to see our motivation and our incentive for doing what we're doing. We don't want to have the wrong incentive. We don't want to give money to get more money. That's what false religion says. Give your tithe and you're going to get back a bunch of money. That's, That's baloney. They said, give your money. If you don't give your money, God's going to strip you of this. That's a lie. We just read it. As a person, purposes in his heart, so give. God loves a cheerful giver. Didn't say how much. Didn't say 10%. Didn't say how much. This is a a battle for the mind here. (coughs) False religion has gommed it all up and they've twisted it. And until you get your mind right on the foundation of the gospel, that will eventually tell you that you are nothing, you own nothing. And if you're a believer, he owns you. You're bought with a price. You're not your own. So what does that do? What that does is, These, and this tripod here kind of reminds me of it. It's holding up a camera. Uh, I always use the phrase, knock the props out from under something, right? So your incentive, false religion's incentive is, I'm going to work because I want to get to heaven or I'm afraid to go to hell. False motives. This gospel and these principles, knock the props out from under that. And now you say, okay, you can't do anything to get to heaven or stay out of hell. Now what are you going to do? Some people might say, well, what's the incentive to serve God? I didn't think you heard. Get out of here. You know what I mean? And you, I'm saying that my mind in, in reference to their mind, not thinking right. You just exposed yourself. You're a mercenary. Mercenaries fight for money. They don't care about the country. False motives. You exposed yourself. You don't care about Christ. You care about his stuff or not getting burned. You, got your fi- you want your fire assurance and you want your streets of gold. You want the trinkets. The gospel gets rid of all those lies. And when a person has a right mindset here, he serves cheerfully, not out of compulsory forced means. Rob read the text earlier about the yoke, right? The, the light yoke of Christ. Not the yoke of bondage under the law. God's people are not under the law. Do you, these things are really simple. But they're, they're quick to get twisted up to look crazy. And people are always bombarding and trying to confuse us about them. This is not confusing. So nothing's ours, our times not ours, our money's not ours, our possessions not it's all owned by God. God owns everything and everybody. He is absolutely sovereign. He runs it all. He's in control. We don't have much control. So look at the look at the negative side. Look at it from a withholding aspect, withholding certain things. So God, through his providence, through his spirit, through his word, teaches us that we should pray one for another. This is only for believers. Unbelievers can't even pray anyway. Unbelievers cannot do anything. And the things that they do are sin because they're not by faith. That's established in the scripture. So until there is repentance from self-righteousness, you can't do anything. So after that's taken care of. All right, it's time to do. We're encouraged to pray. Now, it's either maybe sometimes we're lazy or we're doing things, we've got our own tunnel visions, me, myself, and I, and we withhold our purposed time spent on prayers either in God to worship. That's part of prayer. The other part of prayer is compassion, one for everybody else, in not only in the body but outside the body. So we kind of lackadaisical about our prayers, our time, our money, our attention, our compassion, do we sometimes withhold forgiveness? Do we say, wait, I'm going to make this dude jump through hoops before I forgive him? That's false religion. Did God make you, if you're a believer, did God make you jump through hoops? Christ is the one that jumped through the hoops. Christ is the one that merited forgiveness by his death. And then you're going to turn around and say, I don't know if I'm going to forgive you. I'm going to make you sweat a little bit, make you beg. That's false religion. Do we withhold these things? Compassion, forgiveness, love, kindness. Do we withhold service? Service includes everything that I mentioned. You know what the word ministry means? Service. Is everybody in the ministry? Yes, everybody in the body is in the ministry. So if you've ever had a job that you just can't stand and you go to work, begrudgingly, reluctantly, compulsory. It's not fun. But if you go to a job that you like, you like your boss, you like the work, you like everything about it, you kind of like getting up in the morning and going. This job's pretty rare, I guess, today. I don't know. I'm just being honest for me. (laughs) I'm not going to lie to you. But, Move that idea into the service unto God. The more you see of him, what he has done for his people, for you, the more that service will be cheerful, will be thankful, will be loving. And it's nothing that that we're doing in our own mind. It's something that the Spirit of God, we can't even take credit for seeing it right. The Spirit of God brings us to a right mindset. And the more you get in the Scripture and read about it and think about it, God is will speak to you through His Word, the voice of Christ, not audibly, but the teaching in the Scripture will tell you what I'm telling you. So are you able to give anything you think you possess to the service of the Lord Jesus Christ cheerfully? If not, don't. There's a box back there where Sometimes people put money. If you can't put money in there cheerfully, by all means, do not put money back there. We don't ask for money. That money is a cheerful box for cheerful givers. Don't give money unless you can do it the right way. We don't want it, we don't need it. It will only be to your detriment. So before you take the first step, make sure it's cheerful and reasonable. This has to do with faith and love. Things are done by faith in love. Back to uh, Romans 12.1, I appeal to you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Now, let's be reasonable when we talk about this we're going to be rational we're going to be logical we're presenting an argument that's what reasonable is that's what we're doing here now of course as we've been wearing this thing out first you have to have a reasonable gospel right that's the foundation that we've talked about the gospel that is in the scripture that's the power of God and the salvation is a reasonable gospel Because we know God is a reasonable God. He is a logical God. He is the author of logic and truth and reason. Man can come up with their own garbage that twists that. But usually man, by nature, is is sort of mystical. And they sort of like to blend some ignorance and cloudiness and vagueness in there. But the gospel says that it is the power of God and the salvation. If we are ignorant of the person and work of Christ, who he is and what he did, if we're ignorant of that, all we're going to do as a result is we will go and try, wherever we go, to establish our own righteousness. We'll go about to establish a righteousness of our own. That's what ign- Ignorance is not bliss here. It's death. But we have to know about the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ who has accomplished sufficiently this work that he has already finished for his people. So in this text here, what we let's look first and make sure what here is holy and acceptable before God. What's he talking about? What is, what is it that's holy? Is it our physical body in and of itself? Look at the text. Present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God. Is it our body? Absolutely considered in and of itself. I want to run through some text real quick here, and if you can follow, if you want, they're mostly one-liners. You can just listen if you want. First Corinthians thirteen three says. I want to give some examples using the word body in here. And though I give, this is the love chapter. Read this during a lot of the weddings. And though I give out all my goods to feed the poor, and I deliver my body to be burned, and I don't have love, I've profited nothing. Okay, so we read in Romans 12, 1, present your bodies a living sacrifice. Here it says, I mean, that almost sounds like the closest thing to a sacrifice you can get. If I can sacrifice my body and burn it, Kind of reminds you of the burn offerings on the altar, doesn't it, a little bit? But here, Paul says, if that can be done and you don't have love, we're, we're referring to the motives now and what we're thinking when we're doing things. Here, burning your body. And you better think before you burn your body, right? You've seen that one picture that one priest, some kind of Eastern-type religion. He poured gas on himself and burned himself. He had one of the orange robes on. It's from the 70s, I think. And it's a picture of just, he is ablaze. I believe the false gospel. Where did it get him? This is talking about him and people like that. Many people in the past in false religion have maybe been burned at the stake. Some in true religion have too. But the point here is not what you do with your body, but what you're thinking when you do something with your body. You don't have love, profited nothing. First Corinthians 6.20 uh, I quoted this while well ago. For you're a bought with a price. It's referring to Christ. this is talking to believers only. Christ bought believers with the price of his blood. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit. Is referring to your, the way you think. The spirit of a man is the way he thinks. Which are gods? The, these belong to God. Your body belongs to God and your mind belongs to God. You're bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God with your body and your mind. Right? So the first verse we read there is showing how somebody did it wrong. They burned their body, but they didn't have love. They wasted their time. They, They burned themselves to death. And they were deceived. Here, he's saying, you know, you bought with a price, so do this this way, in the right way, with the right mindset. Glorify God, in other words. All right, now here's here we're going to switch to another word real quick. Just run through a few verses. And be reminded sometimes what the word flesh means. So you think of body and think of flesh. And sometimes in the scripture, body does mean flesh, but other times it doesn't. So let's look at a few of these. This is uh, Romans 7, 4, and 5. Romans chapter 7, verse 4, and 5. So my brothers... You also have become dead to the law. How? By the body of Christ. There's talking about a body. It's Christ's body. It wasn't just because, hey, I'm God in the flesh. And, and because my body is, is a unique, special kind of body, that's all you need to know about it. And that's all I need to do is just my body's doing this. No, it's what his body did, what he did with his body. Right? He accomplished redemption. It's not just the physical body, his physical body died. Good enough. No, it's what that accomplished. That's what the gospel is. What he purposed, what the Father purposed in the engagement of that activity, what that accomplished in the salvation of sinners. So, and I do that contrast because we're not just considering our body, it's what we do with it, with our mind connected to it. Became dead to the law by the body of Christ so that you should be married to another. And that the church, for believers, are married to Christ, the head of the church body. The word another is capitalized here referring to Christ. Married to another. You're not married to the law anymore. You're dead to it. You're married to Christ. Even to him, raised him from the dead, that we should bring forth, notice, fruit to God. That's the result of being raised from the dead spiritually is to bring forth fruit unto God. Now listen to this, verse 5. For when we were in the flesh, were means past. Now is that saying we don't have a body anymore? We don't have skin and bones and blood and ligaments and muscles? It's talking about a mindset that is a humanistic, fleshly, self-righteous mindset. That's what that's talking about. When we thought that way in other words the passions of sin worked in our members through the law to bring forth what fruit unto death as opposed to the other fruit unto God the verse before so it is what you do with this body connected to your mind what are you doing how are you doing it why are you doing it verse 18 of Romans 7 Says, for I know, this is Paul speaking, for I know that in me, that is, my flesh, he says, dwells no good thing. For to will, to do something, is present with me in my mind, in other words, but how to perform that which is good, I, Paul, me, in the flesh, I, I, don't, I don't find it. I can't, I can't do it. And then finally, under the same heading with the word flesh, the next chapter, verses 1 and 2, Romans 8 and 2. Therefore, there is now no condemnation to those who are where? In Christ Jesus, notice this, who walk not according to the flesh, to the fleshly ideas of self-righteousness. Because we're in Christ now, we're in his righteousness. We're under the dominion of grace, not law, who walk, who walk according, not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. The spirit works in us and points us to Christ, points us away from our flesh. But the law, verse two, the law of the spirit of the life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. These things are simple. They just keep saying the same thing over and over and over again from a different angle using different words. So having said that, I, we had a preacher one time years ago in the 90s when we were in a different building talk about the flesh and he was he would pinch his skin and say this is the flesh and he would talk about how the flesh is corrupt and when you get out and work, you know, you sweat and you stink and when you die you decay. This, this is not this is not what this is talking about. I mean, a believer and an unbeliever have the same stink coming out of them. The flesh has to do with the mind, how the mind thinks, whether it thinks in a crooked way toward self-righteous, false religious, idolatrous dead works versus thinks on a gospel foundation of Christ did it all. It's Christ alone. It's by grace. And I'm clinging to that. And I don't want to have anything to do with what I used to believe in that That everything was on me, and I perform, and then when I get to judgment, everything is on me. It can't happen. It won't work. You're going to die eternally. So, the Word of God also does not teach that things in and of themselves are evil. The Gnostics, who denied the resurrection, said that the body itself, in and of itself, was evil. Sometimes Catholics would kind of bring this mindset on by telling their priests, you can't marry, right? Or you can't eat certain things. Other religions say you can't eat certain things. Uh, The Catholics, maybe they'll go to a, a, a monastery. I'm going to get away from everything because they think things are evil. And what's evil is their wicked mind that they're bringing with them. They can't get away from that. That's what they're bringing with them. So, you know, the Amish, they think, you know, the weird idea, like, this modern, they'll look at this world, the word world, it means age, they'll say, well, that's talking about this modern age of electronics, so let's weed ourselves of electronics, and we'll be pure. I'm not buying your cheese, you know, I'll just tell you right now, I'm not buying your furniture is overpriced, I ain't buying it. And if you go on and on, you can give other examples like Pentecostals, you know, and, and really every religion that doesn't preach the gospel, even, you know, conservative Baptists, whatever. And even reformed type people, sometimes they will take on this idea that they'll imply that things are evil. We've already looked at a couple of verses that prove just the physical body in and of itself is not evil. Because you saw some verses pro and con talking about what you do with your body, and that's what I'm going to get back to. It's what you do with whatever we're talking about. Some people are weird in religion about sex, like sex is evil, and even in married couples, you're they have this list. I don't know where they get it. You can only do certain things. Get away from me! You're an idiot. A gun. You put a gun on the table, that gun is evil. It's going to jump up and shoot somebody. No, it's what you do with it. What if a a wild boar or a coyote or a wolf is coming to your house? I left the burglar thing out out for the pacifist, but the the animal is coming to attack your family. That gun, it's a good idea to have it, and you defend yourself against the wild animals, right? So the gun in itself doesn't jump up. Guns don't kill people. people do. There's my Second Amendment speech. Alcohol. Scripture talks about everything in moderation, right? I mean, that, that alcohol, it might be good. Paul talks about wine's good for your stomach. We know if you got a cold sometimes whiskey, you know, but in something a little bit past moderation, you're going to get drunk. Scripture talks says, don't get drunk, right? Anything is that way. Uh, I've had kidney stones and uh, I've used some pretty good medication and I I like it better than I should. So I I have a propensity toward uh, an addiction to opioids and I don't want to be around certain pills because I like them. And I've had to use them for three or four different medical events in my life. But those pills in and of themselves are not evil because I have used them at, in times past where if I didn't have them, I would have pulled my hair out and don't know what I would have done. My passed out, puked, whatever. They're useful for certain purposes. So things, what I'm getting at is things in and of themselves are not evil. It's what you do with things. And there's some snacks back there, you know, I mean... Charlene brought in this some kind of cheese Danish thing, and it's great. And I'm trying to stay away from it, and um, when I actually when I went back there to get it, it I, I couldn't find it, and then later on I saw it was there. So I'm still going to try not to touch it. But the idea is moderation, right? You'll see certain preachers preach against, you know, don't smoke, but they maybe they're gluttons or they do something else. It's a lot of hypocrisy in religion. Money. Money is a thing. But the love of money is the root of all evil. Money's not evil. It's the love of it. If you love money, what are you gonna what are you gonna do? You're gonna hold it, you're gonna be selfish with it, right? You get the idea. I just want us to think about I want us to think about thinking about things. Because that's what this is. It's how we think about things. Listen to this, Philippians 4:18. But I have all in abound. He's saying I don't really need anything. I've been filled, having received from Aphroditus the things which you sent. They they collected some things and they gave them to Aphroditus to give to Paul. And he said what he he described this this gift as an odor of a sweet smell. You know how that. In times past, the sacrifices and or and or the incense, different things that were going on, were a sweet-smelling savor unto the Lord, it says. Whether it be a sacrifice or incense and prayers, whatever. Paul reckoned that thing that was given to him to be like that. It's a sweet, it's, it smells good, I like it, in other words. The gift, I don't think it's talking about it, it was uh, you know some sugary cake or some meat that smelled good. He's saying the act, that sacrificial act, smells good to him, metaphorically. He said, he goes on to say, a sacrifice acceptable and well-pleasing to God. Now, why is that? It's because of how that they gave it to him, the reason they gave it to him, the, the incentive or motive for giving it to him. They loved Paul. And this was set aside for Paul because they loved him. And by faith, they gave this to him. And it was a sacrifice acceptable and well-pleasing to God because these people, not just because these people loved them, but these people that did love Paul were in Christ. They were in Christ. And people in Christ, are they accepted? Only in the beloved, only in Christ. You see? Good trees only produce good fruit. Bad trees only produce bad fruit. Bad trees cannot produce good fruit. And good trees cannot produce bad fruit. That's what I'm saying in this whole thing. Hebrews thirteen fifteen says, By him, speaking of God, this is who gets the credit, who gives the energy to do this. By him then let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually, that is, the fruit of our lips confessing his name. And we talked about confession of his name, what that means. It means to say the same thing about him that God says about himself back when we looked at Romans 10. It doesn't stop there. It's not just the fruit of our lips confessing his name, and some people might say, hey, that. Lip service, that's all that is, lip service. No, it goes further. It, It says, first of all, that that is a sacrifice of praise. So just don't call something lip service if you don't know that it's lip service. But it goes further, verse 16. But do not forget to do good and to share. For with such sacrifices, God is well pleased. And he's well pleased because the people that are doing it Are accepted. That's why it's acceptable. Because they are accepted in Christ. Somebody outside of Christ doing this. First of all they're not even going to know how to do it. In their mind. They're going to be all skewed. Twisted in their mind about the motive and the incentive for doing it. But what I want us to see is. Not just the act in and of itself is acceptable. It is acceptable because the person doing it is rooted and grounded and in union with and connected to Christ. They're in Christ. We can't forget that. Go back to our text here. I just want to hit these things real quick because we're running out of time. Verse 2 says, and not be conformed to this world or age or period. You could say that religiously because this age religiously is a mess. We talk about it all the time. Don't be conformed to the religious world of our time because they don't know what they're talking about. This group and what we teach is in the minority as is all God's people throughout the generations. What if we're talking about immorality? I mean, we're not going to look at sin and wink at it and say, it's okay To be immoral. Our conscience even tells us it's not okay to be immoral. So that can go in both directions. Immorality and self-righteousness. Religious sins, irreligious sins. Either way, just don't be conformed to the world. Just call sin what it is. And we should call sin what it is because we're still yet sinners. We commit the same sins that some of the world commits. Not proud of it. There's no excuse for it. We shouldn't do it. But we do it. If you say you don't do it, you're a liar. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. How's that? That's that's by the scripture, right? Faith comes by hearing and you renew your mind. It's washed by the word of God. I got that shirt on. It says something about being brainwashed. I got it underneath here. By the word of God that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. For I say, through the grace of God it is given to me, to every man that is among you, and this goes with it, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to. Now that's reasonable. If we already know, the gospel says we're nobody. The scripture testifies to our natural total depravity, how that there is none good, none righteous, none that understands, none that seeks after God in our natural unregenerate state. And then we are given life from the outside source to us. Nothing that we caused. Everything, everything in salvation is a gift of God under the dominion of grace that he's doing it all monergistically or energizing us, everything without exception, non-conditional, nothing's conditional. We know that, and that's our gospel platform that we work off of. Why would we think any highly of ourselves than the lowly sinner that we are that have received grace and been justified? Doesn't make sense to, does it? This is a reminder to us. Remember where you came from. Don't look down your nose at this person and say, I'm better than that guy over there. But to think soberly, that just means right-mindedly. If you think that you are higher than you are, what he's saying is, Really, you're thinking like a drunk. You ever heard uh, somebody drunk spew off at the mouth and talk about how great they are? I've talked about this before. I've seen it. They get bold. They get brave. They embellish. They tell stories. Some people soberly tell stories that aren't true, but when people drink, it adds to it. You know, I've done this. A a guy, say, whether it's a feat of strength or it's something about women, you know, just... just Spiritually... We should, by the training of the word of God and the gospel, it keeps us low. It keeps us honest, without hypocrisy, transparent, humble. It, may, it should make us tell the truth. Right-mindedness makes us say, I'm nothing and he's everything. I, I must decrease, he must increase. Our mind should be renewed all the time in that idea. Accordingly, as God has dealt to every man, every believer, the measure of faith. And as we said, as we grow, our faith is strengthened and we should see these things clearer. I'm out of time, but the rest of this, this stuff is so practical and so common sense. And really some of this, people in false religion can even see this. Their conscience will tell them to be, to love To abhor evil and cling to that which is good. To be kind and affectionate one to another. To not be slothful. These things, the conscience will even... This is, as I say at work, this is gravy. This is easy to see. Now, the person in false religion, even though he can read English in black and white and understand what it says, he doesn't understand what it's saying by reading it doesn't understand the gospel foundation that it's on. But what I'm getting at, going back to the idea of reasonable service, we can look at that word reasonable in in at least two different ways. Reasonable as in rational, logical, makes sense, and we need to make sure it makes sense before we take the first step. Or reasonable in reference to, look at what he's done, and if we can't turn around and do this that he has asked us to do in his scripture... Exhorted us, commanded us, or however you want to state it. It's stated in many different ways in the scripture. Why can't we do this? Isn't it our reasonable service? In other words, isn't this the least that we could do? <laughs> if, the, if the lost, false religionist can see by his own conscience, the way we could in our conscience, even before being regenerated, that this is the right thing to do, isn't our reasonable service to do it as believers? This is what I always talk about. I use the phrase, this is a no-brainer. Now, what? Do, in conclusion, let me say this one thing. What It being our reasonable service, what does it do? What does it stop? It might stop a lot of different things, but it should stop us from saying, yeah, I did a big I did a big deal here. I did a big trick. You know, look at me. You can't do that. This says this is this is reasonable. This is your reasonable. You're bought with a, you're not even your own. It's reasonable that you would serve the Lord. And, and it's unreasonable that you reluctantly say, I guess I gotta do this. I mean, if you can think of some extreme cases of people that have been treated well by somebody else. And they come along and they just have no respect, whether it be a parent, whether it be a, a workplace. You know, I've worked with a lot of people. I've been involved in uh, doing, helping my bosses do interviews. And um, usually you can tell right away who's worth anything, you know what I mean? And I've seen people come in and I, I, right away I'm thinking, I would have fired that dude already. First day, I said, look, in the interview, pre-interview for the boss, I said, look, they're big on attendance here. Can you be here on time every day? Oh, yeah. I mean, there they go. They're like a drunk person. Oh, I've had all these jobs, you know, blah, blah, blah. First day. I'm thinking, that's it, dude. I wouldn't. I, you lied to me in the interview, right? But sometimes our, the companies I've worked for would just let them slide, let them slide, let them slide. And I would watch them. I would hear them talk. I would see their attitude. I'm thinking, I cannot believe that you are still working here. You know, the attitude, the disrespect, what they've been given for what they're worth. Let's let's not as believers be like that to our father. (laughs) We've been given everything through Christ. How do we serve that way? What's our incentive? It's not to stay out of hell or get to heaven. That's already taken care of. That's removed. It will show whether you're real or not. Now those incentives are moved away. Right? The props are knocked out from underneath it. All right, go ahead. Let's see. What do you What are you in this thing for? Again, this stuff is really, really easy. it's not rocket science, but the infusion of false religion into people's thinking just keeps coming in. It's a battle, it's a war for the mind. And we have to be on guard to all this baloney crap coming in. Any questions or comments before we close? It's good to have you, Stephen. Stephen, all right, good. Come back anytime. All right.